Hi, I'm Greg Yulin with Reynolds & Reynolds, and this is Connected. Today, I get to sit down with Jeff Pohanka, uh, chairman of Pohanka Automotive Group, and also the incoming chairman of the National Automobile Dealers Association, uh, gets to take over that role at this year's show in Dallas. So, Jeff, thanks so much for, uh, for joining. Uh, great to be here. Yep. So, Jeff, I guess let's get started um, talking about uh, NADA and the show. But uh, before we dive in, I am curious, you've been, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think you've been uh, on the board of NADA for better part of the last 20 years. Is that true? Uh, that's correct. With a break in between. I've had two cycles. Okay. Yes. Good. So why is it so important to you, I guess, as an individual um, to be active in the community and to, to really serve, I guess, you know, the, the dealer body in general? What's what's important about that to you? Well, it's my uh, really connection with NADA and it goes back to my father. My grandfather started a company in 1919. And uh, after college, my dad started working summers when he was 13, like like I did for my father. And as my father got more involved, the dealership competition really heated up. In fact, the manufacturer put a dealership selling the same brand of car just three blocks from the dealership. But fortunately, my dad discovered NADA, which is located at that time a few blocks from the dealership. He took classes. He joined the third 20 group in the United States. He learned how to compete. And from that, he really wanted to give back. So he became a director and ultimately chairman of NADA. So I kind of grew up with that. And I, I live nine miles from an NADA building. Uh, the opportunity came up. People said, Jeff, you should become an NADA director. I said, yeah, I, I can do that. I've been very involved with dealer councils and dealer council subcommittees, uh, got some government issues, uh, involved in the community. So it was kind of a natural thing just to become a, a director. I had to move three dealerships. So I, I took a leave of absence for six years. I moved the dealerships to a new location. And got back in the saddle, and here I am now, the incoming uh, chairman of NADA. Yeah, that's great, and and congratulations on that too. It's pretty exciting stuff. It really is. <laughs> um, so I guess what um, what are you most excited about? Thinking about that heading into uh, you know the announcement in January, and you'll kind of take over in your new role. What are you most excited about? Well, I've kind of have a running start. I've been vice chairman the past year. I was industry relations chairman the prior two years. So we've got a lot of things working. Uh, with NADA. So it's not like my job just starts in January. Certainly it will intensify, but we have a lot of good things working. Uh, basically, data sharing agreements, uh, principles for data sharing, very important. Uh, we have some principles we've come out with NADA in terms of uh, important issues facing dealers, registrations, uh, you know, registering orders for vehicles, data sharing, things like that guiding principles, what we're for, what we're against. So I've had a big involvement with those things. So I think that my job started some time ago. <laughs> so, um, and then I'll be immediate past chairman a year from now and I'll, I'll still be active and trying to make important things happen. Of course, I'm here in Washington, DC. So I'm, I'm developing contacts with important political figures uh, that I think serve the interests of the dealer community. I think that's really important going forward. Yeah, and it does put you in a, in a unique position. We were talking just a minute ago uh, before we started recording about how you know you being there in the D.C. area um, really does help, uh, certainly help you be in a position to, to have maybe a little more influence than, um, or at least a head start, I guess, uh, a little easier path to influence than maybe somebody else might have. 
Yeah, I think the key is for us not to react to things already happened, but anticipate change and get ahead of these things and try to influence them before you know, the concrete settles. It's really important, particularly now, there's so many things coming at us that uh, we, we need to be much more proactive than we have in the past. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you think about that and, you know, especially the speed that things are changing too, and being a part of that conversation early, it's probably more important now than it ever has been just because of how quickly things are changing and how you mentioned competition, uh, you know, uh, just a minute ago, um, how many new entrants are coming into uh, the landscape and what, you know, the, the business model can be in the future, what, uh, you know, maybe some are anticipating it be in the future, but it's going so quickly that being a part of that conversation early and often, you're right, is is probably um, as important, if not more important than it ever has been. It's really important because the speed of change, you know, it's, I, I imagine 50 years ago, it seemed like things were changing. Really fast. <laughs> you're right. And likely 20 years from now, they'll be accelerating even more quickly. But there are a lot of things uh, that are happening right now in the industry. Obviously, we have new entrants coming in, the Teslas and the others are direct sellers. We have uh, a really resurgent government regulation. We have the whole electrification thing. Uh, One thing I'm working on and we've been working on is having much better coordination with the 85 metro and state uh, trade associations. I mean, typically NADA has been at 35,000 feet and those trade associations are on the ground working within the state, you know, we work the federal. But I think we need to be like A-10 aircraft ground support working much more closely together. And I I'm really feel good that we're making that happen. Still work to be done. Uh, it's good to have kind of one voice, uh, best practices versus 85 going things going different directions. It's, it's, it's gonna be, it could be harmful. There could be some action taken by trade associations that could be harmful to the industry. And it's important that we know how far you can go and, and what's reasonable and where can we get the best outcomes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, thinking about some of those things that are coming and and uh, focus areas and thinking about the NADA show for this year coming up here uh, end of January, what are you know some of those top things that you expect to be discussed or maybe that people that are attending or even you know watching from afar but paying attention um, should should keep close, keep top of mind and really look at heavily. Well, we got in this, back in the swing of things last year at Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and we had a really strong attendance, a great convention. And you know, this is how I look at things. Dealers are doing really well this year, you know, obviously really well. But we're facing inflation, we're facing, uh, facing higher interest rates, uh, the poten- potential impact those could have in softening the economy. Uh, we're gonna have fewer shortages product shortages in the coming year. We have a lot of electrification things. I mean, if you look at what Ford is requiring their dealers is major blowback. I'm not saying who's right, but they're, they're, they're way ahead of dealers in terms of what this, what's this really mean to me? What's the cost? How do I do that? And th- we have these new competitors who are uh, out there trying to take our business. So quite frankly, at the convention, it's a good opportunity to come in to sharpen your skills but it's not just for dealers, it's for managers too. And there's a lot of osmosis, you meet, you know, you get ideas, you know, we have 80 workshops again, we've got 500 exhibitors, I mean, the, the, the floor is sold out with a big waiting list. Uh, we have 24 exchange sessions, 
and these are on attracting hiring technicians, differentiating yourself from your competition, growing your service retention, tips on reducing expenses. These are all beneficial things to dealers. So there's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, obviously we have the normal guest speakers. We have some great speakers. We have Nikki Haley. She could become a presidential candidate, potentially. Greg Gutfeld, you know, he owns Late Night. And Deion Sanders, who's just got a new job in Colorado as a coach. He's a great inspirational speaker. So uh, we've got some great cast of of characters coming in. And, of course, me, I've got a great speech to give on Saturday. Absolutely. Don't miss it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fantastic. So what would you say? I guess let me ask you this. How many how many times have you been to the NADA show? In your in your career, oh gosh, I've been <laughs> to a bunch. My dad would, I mean, as uh, you know, my dad was uh, forty five years ago. He was chairman of NEDA, so um, you know, all my life basically, I've missed maybe sure. one or two, but basically all my life I've been going. Yes. So, what would you say, based on your experience, what what makes for a, a successful kind of week weekend? Um, what's that uh, agenda look like? Right, you take in a few sessions, you listen to a few speakers, you visit vendor. Like, what is a successful show based off of your kind of decades of experience seeing these things? Well, let's just show the exhibit floor. You might see some vendors you wouldn't see otherwise. Of course, you're going to see the vendors you already do business with. Even opportunity to pick their minds, what's new with you? Why should, why should I stay with you? <laughs> you know, I even Reynolds go down and you know, people go to Reynolds booth and, and, and look at things you've been working on the past year, what they can in- implement uh, or, and, and basically there's positive feedback or negative give it at that time. So I think that exhibit floor, you know, I, I was like to do, you know, it's really a big floor of a lot of vendors, you know, and you're really going to have to plan, but Generally, you're going to find something down there that's beneficial, some new idea concept, or, you know, how can I use this product better? You know, I think I think that serves a big purpose. Obviously, workshops, you know, I think word of mouth with the workshops good. What workshop have you gone to? What's one's good? Because you can't always tell. Research them ahead of time. Don't wait to go to the convention. Research them ahead of time. And there's a lot of material you can look at. Is this material beneficial to me? You know, I've had a few disappointments in the past where it seemed like a good topic. So, but doing the more research is really good. I think the franchise meetings are really important. And here's an opportunity to, to, to see the top brass of each manufacturer and ask them point blank questions. And I found there's a lot of good information at the make franchise make meetings. And those are really worth attending. And uh, so the key is, you know, and look, there's a good time too. You know, there's parties and seeing, uh, you know, sometimes at a relaxed atmosphere, seeing hobnobbing with the, uh, you know, the VIPs and the manufacturers is a good opportunity because, uh, you know, getting to know them and them to know you. And, you know, we last year at the Allegiant Stadium, we had a big welcome party. Yeah. And that went really well. It's kind of like welcome back Carter, you know, we were... <laughs> And we're going to do that again at a place called Gillies. Yep. And Gillies is a, is a big uh, a party place, pretty much. We're going to have Brad Paisley performing. And uh, there's all kinds of venues in there, country music, honky tonk, mariachi bands, mechanical bowl. I don't think I'm going to do that. Texas Black. I was going to say. <laughs> so uh, unless someone dares me, maybe i try it. But um, 
it's and it, when people register for NEDA, they're welcome to come to the convention. Welcome to the come to this big celebr welcome celebration. What's really good in the planning, the workshops don't start till Thursday afternoon, so people can fly in Thursday morning. Because otherwise, you have to fly in Wednesday or miss some of the workshops. So that planning, I think, is going to help help people attend more workshops. So you know. We've been doing it for a lot of years, but we're working to get better and better and more beneficial to the dealers who participate and attend. Yeah, and I will say, too, speaking of, of timing and planning and the agenda, um, having it in Dallas for the first time in, in quite a long time, yeah. um, I, I think it makes it easier, too. Uh, you know, it's more of a central location. Um, it's not as much of an extreme when it comes to time zone changes and things like that. So you're, you're East Coast, you know, you fly to San Francisco or you fly to Vegas, and um, those are great cities, and, and we'll obviously be back. But, um, uh, you know, when you have that three hours time difference for you and, and a, you know, a four hour or longer flight, um, it, it can just stress your schedule a little bit. That's exactly right. Now, Dallas, it's, we haven't done it since probably the middle 90s. I remember the last time, but they've been very welcoming. You know, in Texas is a happening place. It's on mm -hmm. fire. A lot of energy in Texas. So um, Dallas has been very hospitable to, to get us the hotels we need and the facilities we need. So registrations actually are exceeding Las Vegas last year, which was a really strong convention. So we're really enthusiastic. We're going to have a great convention. Yeah, and yeah, we, we are too. Yeah, we are too. Um, you know, saw the, the registration list just last week, um, kind of came out the, the second, uh, second registration list came out last week and um, everything's looking up and, and it seems like everybody's very, very excited. I mean, obviously plenty of time uh, for dealers to register still. Um, so, you know, the anticipation, at least from, uh, from our end, from my end is that, you know, following the holidays, we'll, everybody will get back in the saddle and they'll really start planning out January and then we'll see a big uptick. Um, but for those that maybe haven't um, haven't registered yet, kind of give the uh, give the pitch. You know why go? Maybe maybe for those that you know decided five or ten years ago, I just it's the same thing every year. I don't I don't need to go back to this every single year. And then you know once you break that habit, it's hard to get back into it. So maybe for those those dealers that haven't been in five, ten years, something like that, why come back? Well, I'll give you two reasons. Uh, with distribution of vehicles, there's really two methodologies. One is to lock you into past performance, okay, historical performance, and that's how many cars you're going to get. And they may be like, you know, a six-month thing. And then there, there's a manufacturer's the other way. That's uh, how many cars did you sell in the last 30 days, okay? And it's all based on day supply. So let's look at both of those. Say you're locked in, uh you know, some man locked into, you know, historical, you can't, it's hard to get additional cars, but what happens when this opens up and there are more cars, are you going to be ready for that? Are you going to bust forward? Are you going to fall flat because you've basically lost your muscle memory? You lost your skill sets. I mean, this is the best time ever to be a car salesperson. You know, it's, it's transparent pricing. I give you a price, uh, you know, customers know there's a shortage of products, margins are good, uh, commissions are good. But what happens when you get back to normal? Are you going to be flat-footed or are you going to shoot ahead and get more than your fair share of product? And then there's the, the groups that are, you know, it's your travel rate. What happened in the last cycle? What happened in the last two weeks? 
you're not locked in. You can actually, and that's, that's tended to have a leveling effect. Some dealers aren't as good moved up the ranks because, you know, customers are going to go where the cars are. Okay. I, I see it as being much more a leveling effect, but you can impact how many cars you can sell your availability if you sell it at a faster rate than your competitors. So if I want to get better, there's one manufacturer said, we're only going to have 3% more cars next year. They're better at getting chips and building cars. If I'm going to get better, I need better my competition. I, I want to move forward. So whether you're locked into historical and that's my change next year, you know, or it's whatever you did for me last week, I, I need to get better. Those dealers need to get better. And one way to get better is be with your peers, uh, feed your mind, get some ideas, get re-energized, get focused. It's the new year. Let's get going because, uh, <laughs> you know, we have choices to make. And I think this is a good investment. Now, people always say, I can't afford the time to be away. I, look, it's a good time to be away. It's January. Weather's usually pretty bad in a lot of places. It's probably one of the weakest months of the year. You know, we pounded away at the end of December. It's a good time to kind of get renewed, refreshed, and to get going, get the year going again. So I think it's worth the investment, and it is investment, but it's not like investing in your people and yourself to get better because either you're getting better or you're getting worse. You know, you never stay the same, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, something you just said there, Jeff, I'm hoping you can you can dive into it. And that's, you know, investing time away from the store, because it is a commitment, right? Any any day you take a full day or two or four out of the store, that, that is a lot. That's, that's a lot that you're asking of your staff. It's a lot that you're, you know, taking taking away. So um, again, in your experience, how have you made the most of that time away, especially coming back? So thinking, you know, post conference or, you know, fill in the blank any time away. How have you made the most of that when you get back to implement some of the things that you've learned? Because I see that as one of the biggest struggles a lot of people have is, um, okay, I went, I learned all this stuff. I even wrote it down and took notes, but then I get back and I don't do anything with it or I do something with it for a week. What's the well, best way to really make the most of it? It's the same problem we have with 20 club meetings. Yeah. You know, go with your peers, you come back. The staff's always scared when the manager of the dealer comes back because <laughs> we're <laughs> implement these things. But we know there's a bureaucracy in dealerships. And look, it's it's uh, it, processes are hard to change. I think implementation, it, it's not just so much what you're doing, it's how you do it's really important. Now, we sent a, a bunch of managers uh, down to one of our dealerships that's doing a really good job. And they, you know, something like going to one of your own family of dealerships and seeing what they're doing. They know some of the people and they came back, man, that's ready to roll. Let's just do this. You know, yeah. we're in January 3rd. This is how we're going to implement. I said, oh, hold it, <laughs> hold it. Um, you know, it's a great idea. I think we should do this, but it's really a phased in process. You don't have a, 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 you know, a rebellion of people. This is good for, good for the company good for the people in the company, good for the customers, but you just can't snap your finger and do this. You're going to have to have a phased approach and you have to talk about the benefits. Here are the benefits. Here's what we're trying to do. This is how they're successful. We can do that too with the same people, a different process. So I, I think it's not just the idea, it's how you implement the idea because if it's you know easy come, easy go, seems like bad habits are hard to change. 
seems yeah. like they always go back to a bad habit versus keeping a good habit. But it, basically, people do have habits. If you can create the good habits being the new habit, they'll stick with it. So it's I think implementation is actually as important or maybe more important than the idea itself. And that's something we're not good at because we like to do it now. We're true entrepreneurs. We're capitalists. Let's do it now. Well, yep. I think I've convinced my guys at these dealers, three dealerships here, to slow down a little bit, take a breath, and let's implement it where it'll stay. And I don't want to go backwards. I want to I don't say this is not working. I'm going too fast. I want to do it at the right speed and get it in, in place. Great time of year to do it. Uh, we're going to do this in January. And and so talking about getting people, getting buy-in is so important, you know, because they can yeah. resist. They can resist. They can make it fail. You know, if you want to extend yeah. service hours, you have Sunday service, they'll do everything they can to make it fail. They don't agree with it. But yeah. once you do it, they see the benefit. But and and people can be kind of stubborn too. And uh, you want buy-in. It takes time to earn buy-in. Yeah, I agree. Uh, something that I've found, and I want to bounce this off of you. I'm curious what your uh, reaction is or perspective is when you're trying to get buy-in. Um, I found it beneficial to to not just focus on the benefit, right? Like you're pitching the benefit, but also really help whoever you're you're convincing um, see the problem that they have today. Right. So when you're thinking about you mentioned extending service hours, that's a solution to a problem. Right. The problem is um, you're out of capacity. Right. Either you don't have enough space in your shop. You don't have enough techs or probably both. Right. So you can't sell more hours because you're out of capacity. Um, but there's opportunity there. So, you know, you can certainly sell and there, it, it, it works. You can certainly sell the benefit of, you know what, we can sell more hours. We have more opportunity. We could probably hire a couple more people. Um, but when you can highlight the fact that they're leaving money on the table because we're just out of room um, and really get them bought into the idea that, that there is a problem here. Um, in most cases that I've seen, and again, I, I, I I'm trying to frame this as a question because I'm curious what your thoughts are. It seems that it may take a little bit longer, but generally you get a, a little stronger buy-in on that front. Well, a lot of it is staffing. You know, you can't like, use them like a Gumby doll. You're going to stretch them out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I got to spend money to do that. And, and it's hard to see how that will work. Of course, you have, your fixed costs are the same. You still have the same facility. So there are benefits to the consumer is always going to go where it's easier to go. You know, and unfortunately, service advisors, having been a service advisor for a number of years, they, they'll protect themselves. They, they don't want to take in too much work. They'll cut work off at four o'clock, you know, and I, I get why, but we have to be conscious of that. And so we have to protect them from themselves to an extent. And consumers, you know, there's two types of consumers. I mean, with three types, so those are loyal to you. Those who are not loyal. And those who don't get the work anywhere, they just miss the service interval. Because it wasn't, they couldn't get it done. And we know how that right. is. You know, I, I it, the easier you make it for the consumer, the more business potentially you can have. And I think a lot, a lot of us can't can't see the forest from the trees, and it's hard to convince them. You have to understand this is a good thing, but you have to uh, take some blowback from people until they get comfortable with it. And it's like yeah. anything. You know, they people are logical based on the frame of reference. You know, they're trying to think the right way. Now, my daughter is our Volkswagen service manager. She can't, she can't, you can't see it, but in the glass, she wrote all this list of things that could go wrong. 
I'm like, are those all happening now? She goes, no, those are all potential things. I left it on my wall. It's like 30 things. Like I loaned the car out and they broke the windshield and won't fix it. <laughs> they, I'm like, <laughs> that was like the last one. I said, well, how I do is said, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that, Mr. Cosby. We broke your windshield too while I was in here. So we're, we're even, right? <laughs> and you go, no, you got to fix mine. Like, yeah, well, we didn't do it. You got, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it, you know, she's very detail oriented and uh, that that's what they'll write this being all list why they can't do it. I'd rather try to find, uh, let's write a list how, why we can do it. And that's, that's the benefits, you know, and, and the way we're wired, we think of the negatives more than the positives. Now it's always best not to be your idea. Somehow you have to plant some seeds. So it's, now I can send some management to another dealer of our dealerships and, and not, you know, I was down, I didn't lead this, this field trip. They, they, they're empowered. They learned it. They want to do it. I didn't make them do it. They, they see it and our other store is going to help them to do it. So that that's a, a better way, you know, you can lead them by the hand, but you can't, you, know, you can't make, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make a drink. It's the same, I guess in Texas, they know all about that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a methodology to it. That would be a good class, wouldn't it? How do you implement change? Because people are yeah. afraid, you know, and uh, I'm not. I mean, our business is constantly one of change, but it's how, how do you do it and get it done and, and, and manage it where it works? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, Jeff, one other thing I was hoping to, to touch base on, uh, at least at a high level today, um, you know, you being in, in Washington, D.C., and, and obviously coming into this role, and you've been involved with an ADA for quite a long time. Um, regulations, it seems like, grow every, I don't know, month in, in our in our industry. We, we looked at, you know, when you print out uh, the amount of paperwork it takes to sell a car in today's world, it's approximately 39 feet, single copy, one copy, 39 feet of paper. And that that's clearly due to the amount of regulations that we have in our industry that we have, um, it, you know, putting pressure on F&I professionals and dealers. Um, and, and every at least six months, it seems like there's another regulation that's either implemented or proposed, right? So we have the FTC safeguards rule amendments that we had extended there in December, so they'll hit in June. Those will be coming coming up. Um, some new proposed amendments uh, in you know, the F&I office around and, and also in advertising and things like that proposed by the FTC. Um, where do you see some of these things going? And you mentioned, um, you know, getting involved earlier and more often, which I think is, is fantastic. Um, you know, at a high level, I guess, so where do you see some of these things going? I, I just don't see it slowing down. I don't know if you do or if there's a different way to approach it. Well, right now we're facing uh, some FTC action, a proposed rule that has not been tested it's a, a solution looking for a problem and it would make uh, our business much more difficult and uh, maybe risky to try lawyers, things like that. It would be harder to buy a car and it's hard to get your hands around. I think we're dealing with it really well. We they, they only had 30 days to offer rebuttal. We have, it's uh, very extensive. We have really good people at NEDA. I mean, they really care about our business. They're really the top drawer. Uh, people in the legal and the political side. Uh, one the idea I had is, what's that really mean to dealers? So they make a video to show the impact on the consumer. Because when a consumer goes online, there's a series of disclaimers we have 
to give the customer if we can talk to them and then film that customer. I'm just going to call that dealership and go through the same things. I'm just going to go in there. They go in there and they get the <laughs> same barrage and then they do buy a car and they go through finance. And there's four, there's, there's, there's four disclosures that have been made before they can buy any personal protection products. This would really damage our business. It's hard to educate dealers about what this really means. And, and, and we're, we're in a war footing if we need to be. Hopefully, we can have Horson back on the shelf. You have Republicans coming in with a house with oversight. They can go really FTC. They're not just doing it to us. We're the tip of the spear. This is, they sure. want to reorient the economy. You know, they're zealots in some of these departments, and they're kind of out of control. Uh, they're really going beyond their bounds of what they're supposed to do. Now, every agency is a climate change agency, for example, the military. I mean, everybody. And it's not that's EPA's job. That's not their job. So they're going out of out of their job category. Now, there was a really important uh, Supreme Court victory. That was West Virginia versus the EPA. And the AG there, Attorney General, is Patrick Morrissey. And that was a more important legislation, I mean, rule than the Dobbs legislation. And because that helps to rein in the regulatory state to stay in their lane. And that will actually help us with FTC action because we have a lot of rogue agencies, you know, and I'm not saying political FBI with Twitter, you know, there's a lot. I mean, 80 people FBI had at Twitter to censor. Inf- I mean, I'm not, that's kind of, seems kind of crazy. I mean, the FBI is supposed to be solving crime. Is that, a, I, I just think there's a lot of things going on in Washington. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of things coming that I'm really spending uh, spend a lot of time on. That's electrification. Okay. There's some very, and I peel back the onion, something I follow energy and, and in this area very closely for a number of years. People don't, there's a train wreck coming. There's a train wreck coming. And that has to do with three things. NHTSA, which sets CAFE, corporate average fuel economy. Now, under the Biden, uh, uh, Obama administration, it set a very high standard. This, they've doubled down on that. They want a 40% improvement of fuel economy between now and 2026. 40%, which is the best the industry's ever done, three or 4%. That, that's going to be very hard uh, to achieve. They can buy some credits and they can buy, pay some fines, but it's really difficult to meet. Then they have a new overlay with EPA. EPA setting now CO2 standards. They want the average car to emit 133 grams of CO2. No cars emit at that lower level. This is by 26. The Honda Accord's 250. So, I mean, they want trucks to be 186. The Honda Pilot's 550. Silverado F1, 550, 450 grams. You have to have massive electrification, massive electrification to make the numbers. There's no fines. They, they, they can't sell cars unless they make the number. Make the number. Now, the manufacturer is partly responsible for this. They thought they would get huge, massive subsidies. They've gotten some of them, but most of them they didn't get. And they got all the regs. They got half a loaf. They got the bad half. And so they're kind of uh, did it themselves. Then you have California. Now, California's been given back their emission waiver. They want zero ICE cars by 2035. And there's ZEV states, like Maryland's a ZEV state, zero emission state, that follows California. One third of our new car sales in those 14 ZEV states must be electric by 20, 
2026. One third. And then an 8% increase every year. So it goes from 35, 42, 50. It's not going to happen. And there are no fun. What, what's going to happen? Uh, it, this is, it's going to raise the cost of cars substantially. Now, we've had Zooms with the Alliance, which is the, the uh, lobbyist group for the manufacturers. I've had Zooms with J.D. Power. And this could break some companies, the investment that they have to make. Now, the average electric car has gone up $14,000 in price in the past 12 months because everybody, his brother, needs batteries today, and there's not enough minerals to do that, components. So the price of lithium has gone from $5,000 a ton to $75,000 a ton in one year. So the prices of EVs are going up. Then now you have an affordability issue, you know, that's going to add with higher, com combined with higher interest rates. Then J.D. Power, some manufacturers like have said, we're going 100% battery electric vehicles by 2035 or a few years after that. J.D. Power says only one out of two customers even qualify for an electric car because of costs and charging infrastructure. So if, if you have a mass merchandise, so I'm going 100% electric, which sounds popular to many, how does that work when only one out of two people even qualify? So there's a lot of things coming. Uh, there's some legislation from that same attorney general, West Virginia, to challenge the ZEV requirements, the preemption, California. California is basically setting the national emission standards. And that's really wrong for one state to do that. It should be, you know, shouldn't be like that. So the, there's a lot of things we can do, can't do. Now, dealers are resilient. We'll figure it out. We'll be here. You know, we will meet the challenge, but it will be a, a rough road, I think because affordability issues. And look, I would advise dealers, I've been doing it as demos. And I've bought three EVs. I've been buying them, driving 10, 15,000 miles, trading, get another one. I want to learn everything there is about it. Experience the public charging network. About 25% of chargers are broken, don't even work. You've got to see it from the consumer standpoint. Now I'm all in on the EVs, dealers are. It's exciting to have new products that people want to buy. But is this 100%? Uh, probably not. <laughs> and then if people keep their old car or buy a used car, that's not good for the economy, the environment, or for public safety. So these are challenges where government's deciding what people will buy. And that's really wrong. They should have uh, choices and you know hybrids, which Toyota wants to do. And uh, I'm we're, I'm all over. To, I'm all on top of this, but I'm probably one of the few. But we're working through it as best we can to try the best possible outcome. Those are things like no one knows this tidal wave's coming. It's coming, and then there's a question of electrification in your own dealership. You know, what size charger should I have? What's the impact on my on my electrical bill? There's something called demand charges. People probably aren't aware of. It's on your bill. At least your you know your not your home bill, but it would be on your dealership bill. Demand charge is a higher rate of charge for your peak power demand. And an example would be here, this dealership, my average kilowatt cost is 17 cents, but the kilowatts under peak power demand is $3.35, okay? And that's their highest 15 or 30 minutes of consumption. Now, these demand charges in California are $35, and it may be some utilities have lessened that blow, but that first 15 minutes, at that first charge in California, it costs thirteen hundred dollars. 
Okay. So something to think about that people aren't aware of. And I've been meeting with uh, some energy experts, try to get a better understanding so we can advise dealers how to best electrify your dealership instead of doing something saying, I waste a lot of money or I wish I'd done something different. We need to be ahead of this. And I'm really driving that effort as an example of getting ahead of an issue. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good one. Um, appreciate it. You know, honestly, I really appreciate the passion uh, that you clearly have for this and, and all things. And, and it's clear that uh, you're going to be a, a great, a great chairman for NADA, um, you know, not not in the least bit due to the fact that you do have that passion. You know, you've been in this business for a long time. There's clearly issues that uh, you understand and see as important. And uh, it's very clear that you're going to go after and, and tackle them as best you can. We have a great industry. Look, cars, cars are really important to people. Yeah. It's, a, you know, a lot of people, it's their second biggest purchase. It's really a source of freedom. Mobility, affordable mobility is a source of freedom where you can live where you want to live, work where you want to work, take your family where you want to go. I think that's important to preserve that. And dealers are going to be helped make that happen. And dealers are some of the best people I've ever, ever met. They care about their workers. They care about their community. We're very community involved. But we need to get even more involved with our, tr our local trade associations and with NADA. Uh, we need to do more than we've ever done before. Stay involved politically. It's important we have that voice in the State House and on Capitol Hill. So the things we can do, we need to double down our involvement. We need to support these organizations to support us. We can't work in isolation because when we're a bunch of islands, that, that will get run over. And uh, I think we have a purpose to serve. And I think we will survive, we will thrive, but we only do it by working together and having giving the uh, resources to NADA and others to help represent us uh, where it's much needed. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Um, Jeff, thank you very much for uh, for sitting down and talking. We've we've kind of went a little bit all over the place, which has been great. I appreciate you <laughs> you chatting and and uh, being open to to just talking a little. Um, anything that uh, you want to touch on before we uh, before we jump off? Anything that we haven't talked about that you'd want to you'd want to dive into at all? No, I would just say I'm an optimist. I realize, you know, you can just turn the, sometimes you got to turn the news off <laughs> a few minutes, but I'm here in Washington. The local news is the national news. And, uh, you know, we still have the best system. We still have, even though we're all our defects in Washington and Detroit, we still have the best system. Uh, but by getting involved, we can help it run better, be better. And uh, I think our future will be good, will be bright. And but we've got to really uh, be, be mindful and helpful to make sure that happens. And uh, and I think uh, there are people who are working every day to see that we have a, a bright future as franchise automobile dealers. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jeff Bohanka, thank you again for uh, for sitting down and talking. I look forward to seeing you in Dallas here in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. And, um, uh, you know, safe travels getting out there. Good luck with uh, prepping for the speech. And I'm sure everybody's looking forward to it. And bring your cowboy boots. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Have a good one. 
Wow, what a great conversation with Jeff Pohanka, uh, chairman of Pohanka Automotive Group in the Washington, D.C. area and the incoming chairman of NADA. Uh, just a fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, before we hop off, don't forget you can watch or listen to episodes of Connected on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. And uh, make sure to subscribe so you're notified every other Wednesday when new episodes are released. Thanks so much, and we'll see you in two weeks. Oh,